Welcome to the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast. Teen Financial Freedom is a personal finance blog run by teens who are on a mission to equip their peers with the knowledge, resources, and understanding they need to become financially free for the rest of their lives. Welcome back, everyone, to the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast. Today, I have a fantastic guest on that has been a long time in coming. I think I got really busy. I know she got kind of busy. The interview fell to the backside, but now we finally have her on. Her name is Gail Rimume. She is absolutely amazing. I've talked to her, I think, on two separate occasions before. She runs a finance camp for kids and has been building her company, Mula U, for years and years and years. And she has experience in teaching kids finance. She's experience in building a company, in bringing investors to her company and sales. Her range of experience is absolutely amazing. So I'm really, really excited to have Gail on today for you guys and for myself, because I love, obviously, this podcast is all about learning from people who come before us, learning from adults, and just trying every single day to get better. So, Gail, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for getting on here. I'm so sorry that it's taken so long for this interview to actually happen, but I'm excited that we're finally here. It's all good because, you know, everything changes and new ideas get formulated, and I've done some new research that I'm interested in sharing with you. Of course. Yeah. But, yeah, so... I know that me and you have talked, obviously, a couple times before this, but I want to, since the listener hasn't been there for any of those conversations, I would love for you to just kind of start at the beginning. Give us a little bit of your life story. Um, maybe tell us a little bit what, like, you, what you were like as a kid, what in your life led you to starting teaching financial, t- teaching financial ideas to kids. Just give us a little bit of background on yourself and how you got to where you sure. are. Sure. Well, long, long, long time ago, when I was a kid, <laughs> yeah, uh, I grew up in a, a family of what ended up being five kids, uh, and you know, my parents. I think we're seeing a new generation of parents that are a little more involved in creating a lot of structured stuff for their kids. Well, we didn't have that much structure, mm-hmm. and you know, my mom. There were four kids already by the time <clears throat> my brother was born, who was born with a handicap, and it just took my mom. You know, she was very entrepreneurial. She decided she needed to go, you know, get her degree in special ed so that she could, you know, really understand how to serve him. Mm-hmm. Well, that meant she went back to school with four kids at home and uh, my dad traveling all the time. And so we were, you know, kind of free range kids, but we were also uh, taught how to be, you know, take care of ourselves. And uh, we, we were also encouraged to make our own money. They wanted to us to learn about that, and so they encouraged us to do entrepreneurial projects. And uh, we started, I think I started with a lemonade stand, of course, at first, and then yeah. my older sister and I decided we'd run an art camp for the neighborhood kids one summer. My mom was very instrumental in helping us put that together, but what an experience! We had to get customers, we had to manage the supplies, we had to understand all the costs, and I don't ha- think my parents had any sense that they were teaching us entrepreneurship, but it was such a grounding thing in my life is to find ways to create value mm-hmm. right and then also like that carries over into how do you solve your own problems right entrepreneurship is simply solving problems 100%. and so we were encouraged to be yeah really curious and really creative and we were allowed to make a lot of mistakes mm-hmm. you know we were never like oh you didn't make enough money at that or you didn't do your chores right i mean none of that was there there was the beginnings of that kind of pressure for academic success 
and the you know there was this you know get yourself ready to go to college which was not anything i was necessarily motivated by yeah but uh, other than that i was motivated by being curious and and getting in trouble good trouble kind <laughs> <laughs> of trouble yeah that's really really awesome i mean it's not every day that parents actually go out of their way to teach their kids uh entrepreneurship entrepreneurship knowing that parents are out there doing that and creating people like you, I think it really just shows that when you try to teach yeah. kids ideals like that, it leads to great things. Cause you're, you're doing really, really awesome things. I'm having fun, but honestly, <laughs> I think it was a survival technique for my parents, <laughs> you know, <laughs> go do something, you know, we're not going to tell you what to do every minute, go be bored. Uh, and I remember when my daughter was young and, and, uh, you know, life was so busy. I was, mm -hmm. you know, she had to go to school every day because I was going to work every day. You know, all these functions of structure that didn't allow her to have much time to be bored or to be creative. And right. so I would send her to my mom's house, my mom and dad's house every summer to grandma and grandpa camp. And she would be like, I'm so bored. I'm like, that's good. You know, go invent things. So actually, uh, that's how I started all this. Mm -hmm. uh, talk about that for a minute. My when my daughter was little and I, I realized that I wanted her to be good with money. You know, I was not necessarily very good with it when I got out of college. And um, so I wanted her not to have those struggles. Right. And I could see like, I didn't know how, I didn't have, you know, any other parent friends that knew how. Mm -hmm. And so I just started doing projects with her. And one of the things I did was I thought, well, how do you really learn about any kind of life skill? You know, you gotta get on the court. If you think about like when we learned to walk, right, we, were, we fell a lot and we had a lot of encouragement from people and we were intrinsically motivated to walk. Mm -hmm. And so we figured it out and we never were shamed because we fell or we never were really even embarrassed along the way we learned to be embarrassed. But, you know, mostly we just keep trying until we get things right. And so I wanted her to have that experience with money because uh, I knew that that would give her a really in, you know, intrinsic understanding of money versus just learning it from a book at school. Mm -hmm. uh, and those courses are now proven to be uh, pretty ineffective in terms of creating behaviors. So, uh, and the, so I knew she needed to practice to, to get those behaviors and, those, and, those, and that muscle for how to have discernment about money. And how does value get created? Yeah. So she was really interested after <clears throat> having an allowance for a while. And part of the allowance was that, uh, you know, the number one factor <clears throat> that determines financial stability is when people save to invest. It isn't that they know how to invest. It isn't even that they do invest. It's that they save money so they can invest. And that process alone, just the saving of it, changes the entire structure of your mind. You start to say, this money is set aside only to be used to make more money. Right. And when it's just a mind blowing uh, scientific thing that once you, any habit, once you start doing it, it changes the whole way you relate to the world. So she had to do that and then she got to use the money for business projects. And so she started doing it. I think her first one was when she was seven or something. Probably it was, it was a lemonade stand and we were on a cul-de-sac. Like there weren't any cars coming, but people would see her and they would drive in because you know, I stop at every lemonade stand now. But um, yeah, she just figured it out and uh, she started using that money, that 10% to buy the supplies, to make the thing. Wow, what if you're doing a P&L like that? We don't call it that with kids, mm -hmm. but you suddenly realize, wow, I spent 20 and I made 80, I made $60. That, that is such a, a click, right? Instead yeah. of money's just coming in from parents and you're spending it and you have no idea mm -hmm. how it's created 
or how to use it for anything other than spending. So we're in such a culture of consumption, it's really hard for young people to look beyond that, you know, and there's no real impetus for us to do that. So that's what I that's what I did. I started giving her an allowance. The 10% went to businesses. She had so much fun. And then she wanted an investment club at her school. Mm-hmm. I was in an investment club and with my girlfriends. Mostly we just drank wine and chanted and bought stocks. But right. we had fun. And I was learning about money. And so she's, she was around that. And so I started this little club at her school. And um, what I realized is I really didn't know how to relate to kids in terms of what they wanted to know. I had my adult adult ideas and I was sort of dumbing them down, but it was boring as heck. They didn't, right. they, they had no foundation on which to understand that. So uh, I had a lot of Montessori friends, teacher friends, and they said, well, go ask them what they want to know. Mm-hmm. And you'd be surprised. What do you think kids want to know about money? I, I got to be honest, I, how to make more of it. That well, you're, it comes to me. Yeah. Mostly they just ask, like, why do we need money? Mm-hmm. You know, why isn't everything free? Like, they don't even have that fundamental understanding of how value is exchanged or how value is created or assigned. Mm-hmm. And so we started doing uh, business projects in the club. And it just sort of erupted. The kids were like, whoa, we want to do more. And so all of a sudden we were doing week-long camps. And that was back in 2005. And by 2008, we were, you know, it was a pretty sizable business, which was surprising. I'd never intended for that to be. And I was happy. Uh, and then the crash happened in right. 2008. And everybody was like really upset about what they were going to do with their kids. Like, we can't, they're going to inherit this huge mess. We've got to get them ready. Right. And the Wall Street Journal came out and they did a story on our camp. And so now we were in the international, you know, universe uh, and people were really, rec- you know, asking to have the program in their cities in countries even and uh, that's when i went into an accelerator so if you're thinking about entrepreneurship and you have an idea incubators are a place to go in when you have it on the back of a napkin accelerators are as as the word indicates a way for you to 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 take that solid idea that's possibly even revenue positive mostly they want to see that Mm -hmm. and then have the support to grow that and so i went into an accelerator and came out with the concept of franchising and so then we franchised that, but it's just sort of stepping back into that concept of what happened to the kids while they were in camp. First of all, there were 20 kids that didn't know each other necessarily. Some were friends, but so, they were doing a business project together. One, one so they had before, before we dive too, too deeply into this. I just want to clarify the idea that this was an accident that you started your camp, right? You said that in your city, it was, it was somewhat accidental that you started this camp. You just kind of, you did a business project with a couple of your daughter's friends and then moved onward from there, right? Well, the camp was a, the business projects were in the club. Yeah, with yeah, your yeah. friends. It started with the, yeah. the investment. Want me to go club. back to that? Where did you cut it off? So I just wanted to clarify for everyone listening that this was a complete accident. Um, like it wasn't necessarily that Gail came into this with the intent to start a camp. She'd been planning this for years. She fell into it. It was an idea that, you, Gail, never had even really considered until you saw the demand there. Like you saw that kids wanted to learn about finance. You saw that they were interested. And then when the crash happened, um, the Wall Street Journal publicized everywhere. And then you saw that parents wanted their kids to learn. And you saw the demand in the market and you had created and were working to create a product that could fit that, which I think is like 
one of the most intrinsic and important skills an entrepreneur can have is like not even necessarily like I think a mistake that a lot of people come up with is they just have this idea of what they think everyone's going to want, right? They're just like, oh, I have this this product. Everyone's going to love it rather than going out and being like, what do you want? And then creating a product based on what everyone else desires. They try to just invent a product. So you mm-hmm. just, you built something based on demand yeah. rather than trying to invent, you know, your reality of what people wanted. That is so brilliant that you brought that up because in the camp, the first thing we do is go, what is your idea? Well, who wants it? Who will pay for it? Yes. What problem are you solving? So we run them through that whole experience day by day and we just layer the stuff on so it's not too much all at once. Mm-hmm. But that is the first thing you have to do. And yeah, it was totally out of demand. And I really didn't think I was even the one to do it. Right. You know, but and I went looking for other solutions and there wasn't anything. And matter of fact, people were at that point, that was in 2006 or something. They were like, kids don't even know how to say that word entrepreneurship. Like, why would you want to do that? And I'm like, you know, because they want it. So, yeah, it was totally driven by the market. Um, Really what happens when you're doing an entrepreneurship project or if you if you have an entrepreneurial mindset, Mm -hmm. if you can develop that, you do. You learn about money. And you learn about market demand and how it's how value is created, mm-hmm. right? Can I charge ten dollars for this, or do I need to charge five? Those are uh, things you have to work out in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, the back of the napkin idea is great, but then you got to get on the court with it exactly. and really see who wants it. Customer interviews and then actually doing pilots, or if you're starting out, you know, give it away for free. I love the Y Combinator motto, which is do things that don't scale. Yeah. You know, until you figured out how to do it once and twice and three times, you, you wouldn't have any idea how to do it a hundred times. Right. So, yeah, we kind of fumbled along there for a while. And then we, we ended up with this really great project. But that idea of understanding how money works and how you can use it for something else was really uh, instrumental in driving this. That was the very crucial part that I wanted to make sure happened because I was more interested in teaching about money. And then finding this entrepreneur opportunity as a way to teach it was sort of a secondary one. Um, and then the other, there's two other things that happen in entrepreneurship or the mindset is that you begin to understand how to solve your own problems or just looking for problems and looking for solutions. And then, you know, the third is this confidence you get. You know, just like the baby walking, right? Walking and falling, walking and falling. And then finally you're walking. It's like, whoa, they actually look like they grew a few inches taller when they get they kids of all things that they do. That is the only way we build confidence. I think it, um, speaking from my own life here, there is no better feeling than having an idea, taking that idea and struggling with it for a long period of time and then at some point it clicks and you actually start to make money from it. There is no greater feeling in the world than that. Like that yeah. moment when you realize, oh my God, something that I built, no one else is paying me to do this. You know what I mean? It's not, I didn't go get a job. My parents aren't paying me. The school isn't paying me to do this. No, I created something that people actually want. And now the money that I'm holding in my hand, that came from me and no one else. You know, like I created this. That is one of the greatest feelings in the world. And I think it's a feeling that everyone should be able to experience because it's, it's legitimately life-changing. It's almost like a realization that you don't have to depend on anyone else 
to get money, to get what you desire in life. Like you can, no, no bashing you for that, but it's possible for you to do it yourself. Yeah, that autonomy and independence is crucial to having a fulfilled life. You know, this is where we can kind of get into the science for a minute. But the truth is that, you know, we we really see the finance, the family dynamic change a lot where uh, very prescriptive and a lot of pressure on kids to um, meet external expectations. And, you know, there's a, a really interesting scientific, and this is a long time standing study and, and it's been researched a lot, which is locus of control, right? So the very thing you were talking about is I did this. I didn't have anybody tell me how to do it. I did it myself. Right. Well, when that isn't in place for people throughout their lives, they're going to resist everything people are telling them and they're not going to achieve. And then they're going to feel bad. Right. Because you're not meeting other people's expectations. And so that motivation has to come from within. And as uh, pe- parents, we have to let kids try things and fail. Yes. You know, and uh, we don't do that. And that is actually the critical number one thing we do in our programs with kids is we don't give them any answers. Drives them crazy. Mm-hmm. They want us to, you know. How much should we charge for this? We're like, mm, I don't know. Who do you think you could ask? Oh, they co- we hear from the parents too. The kids come home and the parents tell us, you wouldn't answer his questions. I'm like, yeah, that's right. You probably should try that at home. You know, and so we really are wanting to look for this internal locus of control, which is the autonomy you talked about and the confidence and the pride that can only come from when you're solving your own problems. Right. Yeah. So we're really focused on that's a core principle in all of our work. Um, And, you know, in the world of where we're at with, you know, the pandemic exacerbated it, but it's been changing for a while, which is the locus of control is very much on parents and schools and everyone's looking outside themselves to to solve their problems. Right. And somebody else knows better than me. Well, I'll tell you what, there's seven billion people on this planet. And, you know, it's easy to think that someone else can solve that problem better than you. Someone else has the answer. But then you look at it, that there's 7 billion people on this planet and we're all first timers. Like, you know, we're all just figuring it out. And when you look at it that way, it's like you do get to see that you're responsible for coming up with your own solutions. I got to be honest, I love that idea that it te- technically speaking everyone on this planet we're first timers you know yeah it's our first run at this i mean yeah. it, you can you could be 80 or you could be eight and it's still gonna be your first run at life and you're pro- probably your only run at life and so honestly part of the that, that's part of why i'm motivated is like you know you only got one shot at this so a the other thing about that, that that idea is there are seven billion people and someone else may have tried this or done something like this, but I'm doing this one. Yes. And nobody else has done this one, this way. There's no other me doing this anywhere else that can tell me how to do it better. I'm gonna figure it out myself. So it's the very core of entrepreneurship, which is go figure it out, right? So we are looking at this, you know, Gen Zers who are coming off of the pandemic, especially, but just even before that mental health, challenges have been on the rise and I it's truly because kids don't have that autonomy you were talking about mm-hmm. I get to have the I won I created this um, so we see that in camp and that's the reason I keep doing them and and watching these kids because you can just see the light bulbs going off and 
uh, you know, so anyway, that's that's sort of where we're at with our our, our so educational methodology. For kids who are slightly older, how do they go about approaching their parents on the topic of entrepreneurship and building a business and allowing their parents to give them that aforementioned autonomy? Um, because I know that was a big struggle for me for a long time was like getting my parents to see like, hey, this is something that I'm passionate about that will actually succeed. And it took. What was, your, what was your experience of that? I'm curious. Like, what did they offer in return? So, when I initially got when I when I initially got interested in business and entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. um, they were very worried about everything that I did. Like, uh-huh. they they and, and this is understandable. Um, and I can see I can see exactly where they were coming from. Um, but they were worried about everything that I was doing, and like they. Like when I started doing interviews for my podcast, they were worried every time that I'd be getting on the phone with a scammer or on a call with a scammer. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. was always a worry for them that I would end up getting scammed or do it or get tricked into doing something stupid, mainly because a lot of this was online. Um, and like with the in-person businesses, they weren't necessarily super comfortable with me going to a bunch of going door to door sales, stuff like that. Um, so that's their parents- job, by the way, that's yes, their job. I know. Um, but it's gotten it's gotten too far. Yes. As you heard at the beginning of my story, my parents were like, go out there and make some money. And it was a safer time, maybe, maybe not. But that change in the, our mentality, which is we need to control and keep our children safe. We're doing such a good job protecting our kids and we are not preparing them. Right. Because we're not letting them get out there and, and make mistakes. The trick is to put bumpers as parents, to put some bumpers where there's some safety nets like limits, but not try to control it. So if there was anything I would say to young people who are trying to do it is uh, do it and let your parents know where you are being safe about it and that you've already thought through those things. There's a young man that's part of our team and uh, he was seven when he did the camp. And at 11, he uh, launched his first app at a Maker Faire. And it was a homework planner, which uh, education company actually bought from him. And then he's the one that came to us and, you know, as as we've been working on this allowance system for parents to uh, use with their kids. And he says, well, we should put that in an app. And I'm like, Ben, you're 14 and I'm not a tech person and I don't, you know, I don't know if this is going to happen. And he just went about building it. And, you know, he's he doesn't care if he doesn't get it right. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. He's just committed to playing. And his parents, of course, were of always curious and interested and worried for him. But they also really took on the, the knowing that he was safe because I was coaching him and I was letting him know, let your parents know where you are, what you're doing. And we included them as much as we could, uh, which is not fun for teenagers to include their parents on calls and things. But, you know, he, we, he wanted what he wanted and he knew that was what it was going to take. Right. So if there's any advice I'd say to just involve your parents and let them know that you've thought through those or if they're offering, some, you know, uh, uh, saying I'm worried because you're online or scamming, say, well, here's what I know about that and here's how I'm protecting myself from that. Or uh, that's already happened and here's how I handled it. And look, I'm still right. alive. <laughs> right. You know, it's like it's proof of product. <laughs> yes. You're always just. Uh, but again, that's the autonomy and the independence. And that's the skills you need when you go out into the world. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, in a job, so you may have some great idea. You know, entrepreneurs, it's a mindset, right? Right. You may have a great idea for a company, for your company, uh, somebody else's company, actually, if you're an employee. 
And if you go and, and try it out and you show where the holes are and what you've done and what broke and didn't, and you show all the places where it may fail, and you can analyze the expenses on those attempts, you know, you're being proactive. Right. And any good boss or any good parent would say, okay. I mean, I'm sure you've had experiences where you've done that with your folks. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's how I got them to eventually trust me. Um, it's just, it took forever and it was very irritating. And even right. to this day, there's sometimes like, um, but <laughs> that's, yeah, it's, it's, you're emancipating You're it, teenagers have to emancipate. And, and even until they're in their twenties, you know, the frontal cortex isn't fully formed. I mean, we've got to be able to, uh, separate from our roots to be able to identify who we are as ourselves. So of course, and parents so, don't want that to happen. Right. So with all of that in mind, I know that you wanted to speak a little bit on the process inside of your camp itself. Like you wanted to speak to what you did inside of the camp, how you help teach kids. And I know you've already covered touching that in some ways, but I'd love to know what the step, what your guys' step-by-step process is for those kids and how exactly you teach them about money. Well, for all these years, it's been a live program. Again, I said, there's like 20 kids and, they, you know, basically just like any uh, business planning process, you, again, look at the ideas you might have. In the case of our camps, they were in restaurants, so they had to go figure out what those customers wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't that I want to build rockets. It was like, got to go research and talk to those customers. And then they prototype a product. And on Tuesday, they actually pitch to investors. We bring in real live um, VCs and angel investors who, uh, hear their pitch. So they've been working on preparing a pitch, talking about all the aspects, everything from their market research, to their product costs, to their uh, sales strategy and their operations, everything is in there. Mm -hmm. And they all take different departments and do their pitches and they get a loan for $50, up to $50. And we get their materials and they start making and selling their product. And so Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, they're doing that. Mm -hmm. And they're taking shifts, working outside and people are in the room building more stuff. And it's a very exciting experience. And by the and every day they do a PL at the end of the day. So really the whole purpose for the camp was to get kids familiar with money. So we embed a lot of financial education things that just snuck in there. It's a natural place to learn about money. Right. And then on Friday, they uh, collectively decide where they're going to donate because, you know, uh, money has got many purposes and we teach all of them. And after the they've made their donation, then they split the profits and they leave with a check. So they're pretty excited about that. Of course. No, yeah. I, it's, it's really, really awesome. It sounds like an amazing process. So I know you mentioned earlier that you went through an accelerator and you had this idea of, uh, oh gosh, the words escape. Franchising. Franchising. Thank you. Franchising will you, like expanding the camp to multiple yeah. So It was interesting because... Uh, you know, it's a live program. Mm-hmm. So, and it's a heavy operational lift to do that. And so when we decided to franchise, we had to put all of the, uh, first we had to raise a ton of money. <laughs> and then we had to put all the operational manuals together, a training program, a sales program. Mm-hmm. How are we going to reach people with this? And what was the process for onboarding them? And really what's the process for selecting them? Right. Uh, and so we chose people that we felt would, would embody our methodology well and could build a community product like this in their, in their towns. Um, so that's what we did. And it's different. Franchising is an interesting model. And I just kind of would warn people to be careful that if your product or service 
isn't easily repeatable without a lot of training or if there's not a, if the, if there's anywhere that it could go astray it's going to right and so that's why mcdonald's does well it's like do you want fries with that you know it's just like simple right. processes that can be repeated easily and that's sort of the word that's what franchising means you're just repeating an operation over and over and over so uh after about six years we saw that that wasn't really being effective mm -hmm. in terms of delivering what we wanted and ultimately as I sort of watched that go, I realized that all these kids that were going through our camp, they were going back home and they were walking into the same conversation about money that they had before they came to camp. So they got all these brilliant ideas about money and entrepreneurship, and then they went home to an environment where it wasn't really supported, just like we talked about before. Right. So uh, we launched another company inside of this, another product, uh, Parent Courses, and that helped parents kind of go through the thought process for how to transfer responsibility to their kids with money, but really right. kind of with a lot of things, you know, move that locus of control over to the kids and let them make kid sized mistakes and be responsible. Because how are you going to learn to be responsible? You have to have responsibility and you have to practice. Mm -hmm. So we, we did that. That went really well. And then that's when Ben, the young genius tech guy said, well, let's build an app and we'll put the allowance system in there and we'll put the entrepreneurship program in there. And mm -hmm. uh, there's saving, you know, 10% is automatically saved for these projects. It's all in the app now and it's really cool. There's even a, a gig marketplace where, you know, you're going to give kids a certain amount of money and it's going to go into various budgets, uh, you know, buckets, we call them. Mm -hmm. So they know what that money's for, right? Because most of allowance is just given to kids. You know, and then there's some like, well, you need to buy your own this or that. But this is like, no, this is money I would have spent on you. And now I'm going to let you figure out how to budget that. That's how they get the practice. And there's the little bumpers. You're not giving them all the money. You're not putting it all in one big bucket. It's all separated out and they can start to plan. Woo. You know, I did that with my daughter. She separated out all her money and saved 10%. And just to brag for a minute, she's uh, 27. But when she was 25, she bought her first investment property. That's awesome. That's having to save 10% of her money all her life. And all, you know, not even that she did that, but that she knew to do that. Mm -hmm. I didn't tell her to do that, you know? So it was really cool. It was really cool to watch. So we want that for all kids is our point. And entrepreneurship does that because she figured out how to solve the problem. You imagine buying an investment property, the amount of work that goes into just buying real estate and then to have to consider all the calculations for whether you can actually make money on it as a, as a investment, right? I, oh, she I just kind of called me and told me she did it. So that's the autonomy and the uh, power we want to give kids. And that's what entrepreneurship does. So, I, yeah. Yeah. So with the idea in mind that you have tried to expand Mulu in multiple ways, I know that you mentioned before hopping on this meeting that you are now actually doing investor pitches. Um, I would love to know why we are pitching investors now. And what new idea has come to you that is create that can create take Mula U and turn it into a scalable model? And just just talk to me a little bit about that. Absolutely. So we had our we had this idea to do the app, and we went in another accelerator in 2019 and uh, built our prototype and a clickable uh, model for us to test. And we were you know doing the things you have to do when you have a business, is make sure it works and people want it. And then, you know, 2022, we were planning to do live camps. Mm 
as a way to continue to bootstrap the company because I don't really enjoy raising money. You know, I'd like to own the whole company, but also it's just a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of work. Um, and so I, uh, we had to quickly, here's an interesting thing. And when you're an entrepreneur, you've got to move fast. You've got to yes. adjust to market demands. You've got to uh, handle challenges that are beyond what you could have ever imagine. And so we couldn't do our camps and we lost all that income that was planning. We were planning to use so we wouldn't have to raise money. And so um, we quickly put the camp online. So that was what I call a crisis because right. once it was online, it could anybody could come to it instead of just our sessions in Austin. Yeah. So we ended yeah. up in six different countries and in two languages. And so that was like a woo. Uh, and it's a, that is scalable. It's still a heavy operations lift, which I'm not sure is how we're going to grow that. It's there, it's gonna happen every year, but it's it's the potential for that division to grow is massive. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, we are more committed to the app. So you have to make priorities, make choices. Uh, so the, the app is going to require money to scale and grow. When you build a digital product, you build it once and then you sell it to zillions of people, right? Right, right. Uh, but how do you get to those zillions of people fast? While, the, while your product's on the market, it's going to start to get copied or whatever. There'll be other products. It's a hot market. Right. So you got to right. move fast and that requires capital. So we are raising again for that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a process, which is if you're a new entrepreneur and you can bootstrap, the longest you can bootstrap for is best. Uh, when you have a solid product and you want to uh, grow it in any capacity at all, you will need money. And the first place you'll go is friends and family. So my curiosity here is you said that you moved online and you're now raising money so that you can move quickly and hit the market before anyone starts to copy your course or try and change things up. Are you with, with this idea of raising money, are you raising money to not only have the money for, are you going to be using the money for marketing or expanding sales or expanding the app itself? And are you also trying to bring investors in so that you can have mentors in the area of marketing and sales and building? Well, when you bring investors in, they become, you know, mentors and advisors. That's, that's, that's kind of part of the question is like, is, is part of it is, raising money, bringing them mentors as well? It's something to think about, too. I have actually turned down an investment because I didn't appreciate the direction they wanted to take our company. Mm -hmm. So these are difficult choices, right? And but that the idea is you've built a huge community of mentors before you even go to raise money. Right. Everybody that's doing a business should have be making calls every week to somebody that's done it before or knows something about some piece that you're working on because there's seven billion people out there. <laughs> and they've done something else for the first time and they know more about that piece than you do. So totally leaning into your community of mentors is the most important thing you can do because they'll be there for you when you have a weird question at two in the morning, you know, uh, about the cost of acquisition or some anything that's happening, you can and you, you organize those mentors in my thinking is by what is their various uh, expertise in particular areas. So we have two two products. One is the camp, which is digital. The other is the app. Mm -hmm. And so we're not raising money to do to scale the camp. We're raising money to scale the app. Okay. And uh, it's a tech product and it's a fintech product. So there's a lot more involved because we're dealing with putting this app on a 
debit card that kids will have and uh, there's a lot of stuff go that goes on in the world of kids and money and data and mm -hmm. so one of the things we'll be adding is a product manager that understands that fintech and moving it into web3 even ultimately right. you know actually using it as a tool to learn about blockchain and crypto uh, versus just trying to hold tight to the existing banking model which is right. changing rapidly changing rapidly so anyway that's that's what we're doing about raising money and so if you want to talk a little bit about the stages of that would that be helpful or I mean, let's we can talk a little bit about the stage of that. And I'm interested also in the fact that you want to incorporate Web three into your financial tech product because that's, I mean, that's very forward thinking of you, you know. Um, and I'd love to know a little bit more about that as well. Well, I I think about the beginning of the internet, and you might not even have been alive. It was in the I late, was not. yeah. Um, before the internet, everyone was like, oh. I mean, I looked it up an old article the other day and they were like, oh, it's just a fad. It's going to go away. And, right. And uh, but it, it provided so much value and it, it democratized so uh, information. It democratized information like nothing ever before. And it just and once it got a little bit of traction, it went crazy. Right. And I think I'm learning about Web3, but we're in entering a new dimension of that democratizing value right you know and and uh removing the middleman and currency exchanges and all of this there'll be a universal value proposition that's valuable everywhere and it's not based on a government the government controls fiat currency in every country and they determine how much a dollar is worth mm -hmm. and they create inflation by printing more money i mean there's all kinds of functions that the government does that are good and others that but basically you don't have control so it's an interesting field and we're staying on top of it because we're really forward thinking we have to if we build this now in one way without considering that when that does become really uh you know more uh, uh, adopted, we wouldn't be ready. And so we'd rather be on the leading edge. We haven't made any deep choices about it yet, but right. we're looking at it. Well, it's a good thing that you're at least forward thinking, because I think that's a skill that a lot of entrepreneurs miss is like, they look at the now and the product they're building right now. And they forget to look at what that product is going to look at, look like in one year, two years, three years, four years, especially when you're working in the digital space. Now that's less applicable if you're working with an actual physical product, like you're making a coffee mug. Um, but if you are building, like you said, an app for teen finance, then it's going to be far more applicable to be looking at where exactly the market that you're working in is going. And while that's kind of a later stage entrepreneurship, that's not necessarily something that a beginner that has, has to focus on. It's still something that you want in the back of your head is that once you have a product, you need to constantly be thinking about the future and where it's going to go. And thinking about what the customer is going to want. I love this story about Henry Ford. So before there were cars, if you ask someone what they wanted, they'd say faster horses, mm -hmm. right? And, uh, but he went into the future and he created this idea and then he brought it back to the present and he created it. And then he, the really interesting thing about Henry Ford is he, mon he uh, modernized you know, uh, mass production. That was the big difference for him. But that kind of that kind of backfired because he wasn't looking further ahead at what new models. Everything was a yes. Model T. They were all black, you know. And so there's there's you gotta constantly be looking far far ahead. Right. You have to look before even people think they need something. 
And that's where customer research comes in. So if you've made a coffee mug and it has a particular saying on it and it's popular right now, you want to be listening to the community and talking to people and, oh, I wish I had this on my mug, you know, or whatever. You would yeah. start to be able to predict your, your future. And I'll tell you, investors, that's all they care about. They want to know that you can see where you're going, where the market's going, and that you can capture a sizable portion of that market and right. that you're going to be able to stay current with it. So that's a really important thing. And it's never about the product, remember. Right, exactly. It's only about what problem are you solving and for who. So I know that we're getting kind of close to the end of our time here. We only got yeah. 11, minute, 11, 10 minutes left. Is there anything else that you want to touch on? Is there any specific topics that you want to cover before we wrap this interview up? Any final words for our listeners? I would just say, don't be afraid to make mistakes. I think it's extremely important that we... Uh, remember that that's the only way anything gets created in the world is people try. Yes. And you just don't get it right the first time. And you may never get it right. It's always changing. And you just have to keep trying. And uh, there's no definition of success. Yeah. There's no point at which this is what it is, whether it's your product, your business, your choices in life. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, to give ourselves some grace. And remember, that's how the world got created. You know, there's so many amazing stories about, like I was reading about the, the compass hadn't been invented and all that we, we couldn't travel. The mariners, especially ships, couldn't travel unless the sky was clear because they navigated by the stars, you know? And so that was a pretty big problem and that opened up the whole world, right? Because of the compass. And it took years, you know, there were a lot of iterations and whatnot and versions of it, but nobody got that right. And then we and then we have it now as a part of our world that helps us navigate in the world. Everything is based in that space. So we got to stay in there. I just would highly recommend that you be willing to be extremely curious to try things that that don't scale, try them once and then pay attention to the customer and what the market's doing cuz that's where you can really excel as an entrepreneur. But I'll tell you, I think the more important thing is to keep doing entrepreneurial projects because yes. you totally build the muscle for for thinking things up trying them out run them through the model once and see if it works uh we gotta we gotta remember to keep trying that's the most important trying. thing we yes. can't be beating ourselves up if it didn't work right and then again the other thing surround yourself with mentors it's amazing once i opened that door to how much people really want to help you know, and they love it. They get to feel like, oh, look, I I knew something she didn't. I or whatever they feel. But you know, I know I'm a I'm a mentor, uh, so I love it. Especially if you're a young person. If you're a young person, you I, people will be like falling head over here to help you. Honestly, if you're young, if you're ambitious, especially if you're still in your teens, there are people who will just like they'll be jumping at the gates to help you if only you're willing to ask. So. Well, and here's the other part, what you just said, the willing to ask is, is important, but you have to know what you're asking. Yes. So when you're working with mentors, find out what their expertise is and research them and, uh, and see if that there's a particular question that you need help with and go to them with a very specific question and, and then respond immediately with an email, thanking them and outlining what they suggested. And then if they made suggestions, go do them and then report back. And because that will keep your mentors engaged. And try not to ask a mentor a question that you could easily Google. That's another one. Like, yeah. You know, if you're like, 
if you're going to ask them like, Hey, how can we put together a profit and loss statement? You can find that on Google pretty easily. You know, um, yeah. they, you might need help in your specific industry, but for the majority mm -hmm. of it, you can figure that out really specifically. But if you're like asking about yeah. a specific piece of your industry, that'd make more sense for a mentor. So, but I love final point scale. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hi guys, I appreciate the opportunity and I'm available if anybody, I'm a mentor. I actually got the mentor of the year award in Austin last year. So I love it. I work with young people and, and all kinds of entrepreneurs. I mean, that's what I live for. So anybody that wants to reach out directly to me, I'd be happy to, to talk to you or redirect you to somebody that can help you on your specific question. Or even if it's just an idea you want to run by someone. How can people reach out to you? Where, what's, what's the I'm best at, place to find you? Yeah, my, email, my direct email is gale, G-A-Y-L-E, at moolahu.com, and it's M-O-O-L-A-H-U.com. Sure, we'll put it in the uh, notes. And um, yeah, reach out, check out our website. There's some really good resources on there and stories about entrepreneurship with kids if you're interested in seeing what some other kids have done. Yeah. And then the app is going to launch. It's in beta right now. So we've got parents using it and that'll be ready in, uh, uh, in January and watch for our crowdfunding campaign. We're doing an equity crowdfunding campaign as part of our fundraising. Well, Gail, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It was been really, really awesome to have you on. I'm so glad we finally got to make this interview happen. And yeah, yeah have I, a great everyone day. Who's yeah. Yeah. You have a wonderful rest of your day, Gail listeners. I hope you guys learned something from this and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast. We would greatly appreciate it if you could subscribe, leave a review, and share this with someone who needs it.